Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsapornchai. Well, brother, it's good to be back uh, another week. I uh, love doing this every week. It's always an encouragement, uh, if, for, if for no one else, for me. Uh, <laughs> and so it's, it's good to have you back this week. Yeah, it's, it, it is good because I, for us as pastors and, and those who are pastors will know, um, we do relish those opportunities to have fellowship with uh, other pastors. Uh, but when we come together, we want to be able to discuss uh, spiritual things, uh, things that are hot, things that are being discussed, things that affect the church and uh, things that we think people will have questions on based upon what's going on out there. And so I, I definitely uh, welcome this as well, because it's an opportunity to be able to just talk it out and go to the scriptures and, and see how we are to respond to certain events that are going on around us. Yeah. So guys are already like, all right, just get on with the topic. Uh, <laughs> so the topic is Stephen, and I just learned his last name is Colbert. Um, the Tim Keller comment and the gospel uh, is, is what we're going to talk about today. Um, and maybe we can just chime people in if they're unfamiliar with, with what went on. So um, I, I think everyone knows Tim Keller. Uh, if you don't, don't look him up. It's fine. Um, but anyway, Tim Keller, who is a prominent leader in evangelicalism, a Presbyterian, uh, retweeted a um, segment of a, a talk show, I think. I mean, I never heard yeah. of this guy before. Yeah, so, he's uh, a late night talk show host. Okay. Late night talk show host uh, named Stephen Colbert. And um, he it, let me and let me just quote uh, read what he said about it, and then we'll get into the content. So he retweeted this and said about this guy in this particular cl clip, and I quote: "This is a brilliant example of how to be a Christian in the public square. Notice the witness, but in a form the culture can handle. We should desire to have more Christians in these spaces and give them grace as they operate." End quote. So. This must have been quite the gospel message, right? I mean, to say that, at least that's yeah. what you would expect. Yeah. Uh, but what did we get? I mean, you, you saw that, you saw <clears throat> that clip. Yeah, and um, I, I wish I'd made a transcript out of it. But um, so he had a, um, a young pop star. I think her name is pronounced Dua Lipa. And, uh, and, and of course, he's the, normally the one that does the interviews. I, I don't watch his show much, but I know the format. And uh, the segment that was shown, she basically, um, uh, you know, kind of turned the tables and decided to ask him a question um, about his faith. And uh, she said she really admires how he incorporates his faith into his work or something like that. And then um, that led to, um, I'm going to guess, maybe three or four minutes, uh, a few minutes, uh, a few minutes explanation of how important his faith is to him. And uh, and then ju just to make a long story short, Stephen Colbert, um, very articulate, uh, gifted speaker. Obviously, you, you can't get a position like that without uh, being gifted in, in speaking. So he, he is very articulate, um, clearly uh, intelligent, and he, he gave a response that um, was um, very thoughtful, uh, very um, articulate. Uh, it uh, sounded really good. It led to applause from the entire audience. And, and to, to, his, um, to, to his defense for just a moment, first of all, we understand that he's um, Roman Catholic. 
And, and those of us who are Protestant, especially if we understand our church history and we know the dogma of the Roman Catholic Church, we, we know that um, we're not in the same church. Uh, the, the Pope is not our head. We're, we're not a part of that. And, uh, and I believe we're going we're gonna to talk about more of that in depth uh, next week. So we know that he belongs to, uh, to a religious order that I would personally call the, the biggest cult in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that being said, um, I don't know what his intention was in answering it. It may just have been that he just wanted to provide a more surface answer and not get into more of the details behind his faith. But, um, but to make a long story short, as well thought out and articulate as his explanation was, it actually didn't get into any of the core elements of the gospel itself. So he never mentioned Jesus Christ, um, never mentioned the need for forgiveness of sins. Um, and so not talking about Jesus Christ, obviously not talking about the work of Christ, uh, not talking about how um, we are to be saved. Um, didn't talk about any of that. Just kind of gave more of a, what I would call a spiritual answer. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and it, was, it was spiritual and broad enough that his entire audience, and, and again, this is a secular talk show, the entire audience erupted in applause after that. And uh, and so, look, from my point of view, I have, I have no interest in listening to what every single public personality has to say about faith and, and how they portray it. And, and normally, I wouldn't even care about this. You know, I think the well, what happened afterwards was what kind of surprised a lot of people, because it wasn't just Tim Keller. There was like at least three or four other I would say big name uh, kind of uh, Christian personalities, if you will, um, just really exalting just how great this was. One person even said that Protestants can learn from this example, um, and uh, and and the key word being contextualization that we don't contextualize this well, and and so he was universally applauded. And and this is where I get concerned. Um, because there are believers who look up to a lot of these people that's upholding this example and not realizing that, wait a second, there's something deficient here. Um, where is Christ? Where is the actual gospel itself? Uh, where, where is the, um, the, the, the part of the gospel that helps uh, the, this lady in the audience understand their need for salvation, their, their nature as sinners, the yeah. judgment that awaits us, the hell that um, is that um, that is the consequence of not putting our faith in there. None of that was there. And I think that that's our main concern here. Yeah, absolutely. And I did take the time to um, make a little bit of a transcript in some of the in his response. And so I'm going to read that. And uh, but let me just reiterate what you've said. Uh, The reason we're doing this episode and the reason it's a big deal is because you have someone like Tim Keller um, who knows the gospel um, who has major influence in the church and who is, you know, lauding this as um, an incredible witness, right? A brilliant example of how a Christian in the public square should be, according to him. Mm. And, and so when someone like Tim Keller says that, the expectation is that, okay, th- this is going to be the gospel message. And um, we're okay with uh, contextualization when we mean that appropriately. Um, You you never change the gospel message, right? Right. Uh, Right. But the means by which you deliver it can vary from place to place and setting to setting. Um, And and so just listen to his response, because this is what Tim Keller and these other guys are saying is a brilliant example of of the Christian witness. So... um, uh, the, the lady, as you mentioned, I can't even remember her name. I have never heard of her from Adam. 
Um, <laughs> I, I just that's probably I, a good thing. I, I, I it, it probably condemns me that I even recognize who this this young lady is. But yeah, one of the major pop stars out there. Yeah, and so um, so I've never heard of her. But this is his response when he's asked about his faith. He says, and I and I quote: "My faith is involved. I'm a Christian and a Catholic." Um, and that's always connected to the idea of love and sacrifice and that death is not defeat. If you can say, if you can see what I'm getting at here, he goes on then to talk about the movie Belfast. Okay. So that was the quote. He, he said that he goes on to talk about how, um, he loved the movie Belfast. I don't watch movies much, so I don't know what that is, but, um, and then he talks about a way to, to laugh about death. Apparently that's a theme in the movie. Because he says that laughter that keeps you from having fear, um, that laughter keeps you from having fear of death, and fear is the thing that keeps you from turning to evil devices to save you from the sadness. That that's his gospel presentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> it, it, any pagan in the world could say yes and uh, right. a, amen to that. So he's quoting a poet, by the way. Um, in that Robert Hayden, who was a, a guy who was raised as a Baptist, who left Christianity to join his wife in the Baha'i faith. This is the Christian witness uh, that's being uplifted. So no mention, as you said, of Christ. He talks about being able to laugh at death as being that which is great and basically what every human should aspire to. That's his gospel right there comedy um which he's a comedian right as i understand uh but for a christian pastor theologian to take that and to say wow this is a brilliant example of how to be a christian he could go around the world and preach in every sect every cult every satanic temple what he said on that show and none of them would have any problem with it um Mm. and that's what makes it dangerous uh, when men who are respected by many um, uphold these things, it, it teaches, you know, those who are in the Christian church who are maybe new believers, young believers, immature believers, oh, okay, so we don't really have to point out sin. We don't really have to talk about repentance. We can just kind of make people laugh and maybe just say we're Christian, and that's kind of what the witness is. But that's quite con- contrary to everything we see in Scripture. I mean, it, you can we can talk about the apostles, we can talk about the prophets in the Old Testament, but let's just go to the example of Jesus. What did Jesus do? He went around saying, repent, for the yeah. kingdom of God is at hand. That was the message. And we understand what the word repent means, right? He is calling to attention the sins of people, calling them to turn from those sins and to turn to God, to, to in that case, to him, to Christ, um, that's, that was what Jesus did. It's what all the apostles did. It's what we're supposed to do. And I think um, it, we should say that there's wisdom in um, how you get to the gospel message, uh, and we trust the Holy Spirit working in us uh, for the, not to miss those opportunities. Um, but there was nothing gospel or Christian at all in, in his reply. Yeah, and, and let's talk a little bit about uh, contextualization because I think it's going to be important to think about what that means and, and how do we incorporate that into our witness. And, and contextualization, uh, the, the way I would explain it is this. Um, you, you want to be able to 
put the truth in, in a way that the audience can understand it. So you're, you're putting yourself in their context, um, seeing with their eyes and, and trying to help them to be able to bridge uh, what they know to be true around them to the actual truth that, that's in scripture. And, and we do see some examples of this. For, for instance, Jesus Christ, chapter three, he talks to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes up to him, and immediately Jesus goes into the fact that you need to be born again, and that being born again comes from up above, um, and, uh, and and that it's a, it's a work of the Spirit. And then the next chapter, he goes to see the Samaritan woman at the well, and he takes a, a slightly different approach, but arrives at much of the same truth, where he ultimately tells the woman that uh, God is seeking true worshipers who will worship in, in spirit and in truth. And it's not going to be based upon where you worship, um, whether it's... <clears throat> at uh, Mount Gerizim or whether it's in Jerusalem, um, but but really um, those uh, who, who put their faith into Christ. And, and so, we, we saw in, in two different uh, chapters, back-to-back, um, -back, uh, different ways that Jesus is approached uh, providing really the same kind of truth. And so, t contextualization, and again, and the Apostle Paul, I think about him in Athens, um, he sees um, a number of statues, idols of, of false gods, and then one that's addressed to an unknown god. And in their culture, the unknown God was meant to be kind of a catch-all for all the gods that they don't know about. And so, he points to that as a way of contextualization, saying, okay, you have a statue to the unknown God. Well, let me tell you about this God that you do not know. And he goes on to actually explain him and finishes off that by saying, God is calling everywhere to repent for he has fixed a day in which he's going to judge everyone. Um, so, uh, contextualization is, um, is, I think, um, a very useful tool. It's a very useful um, approach to bringing the gospel to someone, but it does not shortchange the gospel itself. And like you said, when we look at Jesus Christ, his ministry, you look at Matthew chapter 4, right after he got baptized, he, he gets uh, goes through the temptation in the wilderness. He then starts his ministry and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, that's not to say that that was his entire message, but when that is quoted, that is the center, that, that is the main point of the message that, that he's bringing forth, is to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we have examples uh, of apostles throughout the book of Acts and how they shared the truth uh, with people. And, and there's just no way around um, the fact that you need to convince people that they're in need uh, of Christ, and then you need to explain who Christ is and what he did and why he is the only way um, to, to the Father. He's the only way to heaven. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Um, so, once again, I... <clears throat> In, in slight, and this is very slight defense of Stephen Colbert, in that moment, it may not have been his goal to necessarily share a gospel, that he just wanted to speak in terms of his work and, and how what his faith, how his faith informs his work. And okay, well, I mean, that's that's fine. So maybe we've made it more than it than it was intended to be. But certainly when other evangelical leaders are lifting this up as a brilliant example, um, I, I am concerned about other Christians who may not know better or look up to these individuals thinking, yeah, that's how that's how we share Christ. We just go out there and we, we say something that they're going to really love and, and relate to and applaud without ever mentioning God or Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, it, you know, and again, I think our primary concern is not necessarily what uh, Colbert said, but it's it's that um, it's being sent all around by these evangelical leaders, right? Yeah. And lifted as being some brilliant example. Now, um, they, they could have said a lot of things that would have not raised any eyebrows, um, but really, and, and we're going to get to this next week, but the, the greatest and initial issue 
is that you have Protestant evangelicals who are pointing to someone outside of the Christian faith, right. at least in right. a system that's outside the Christian faith and saying, hey, here's a Christian example. Um, n- no, because Catholicism is not a Christian example. Right. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk more about that next week. Um, but right off the bat, you have that issue. And, and then you have um, you know, what, what they're saying is a brilliant example. Well, it, I, I dug in and because I thought, well, I, I wonder I, a little bit more about this Colbert guy. Maybe um, he does often say better things. Uh, there have been a few clips uh, uh, that, have gone, that have gone around yeah. and I thought, no, I mean, all right. So I did a little bit of digging and I've, I've got just a few quotes that I, I want to share. And again, um, it, it, the, the main concern here is that Tim Keller would even be tweeting someone like this mm-hmm. and, and using him as an example. And this is just one of those things where you might be thinking, well, maybe he didn't know all of this. You know, when you have a platform that large, it just comes inherently with responsibility. Um, right. And one responsibility is that you don't platform heretics mm-hmm. um, and, and unbelievers as good examples as Christians. Um, it, it wasn't hard to find this material. So let me just read a little bit of it. And I, I apologize. It's, it's blasphemous and it's crude and it's hard, uh, but I think it's important to the discussion. Um, by the way, uh, before I go into that, the last, one of the last things that um, Stephen said on that interview, um, w- which I talked about the fact that he quoted uh, a Baha'i um, uh, Robert Hayden, a poet, uh, he, he ended by saying, quote, no matter what happens, you are never defeated. You must understand and see this in light of eternity and find some way to love and to laugh at each other. And then everyone, uh, you know, burst out in applause. So no wonder. I mean, that mm-hmm. there is your brilliant example um, of a Christian of public square basically saying, don't worry um, you, you're you're strong. You can never be defeated if you can just learn how to laugh. I, I mean that w- that was the message. Yeah. Um, but okay, let, let's talk about some other things that uh, Stephen Colbert said. And and again, this is because this is someone that Tim Keller and uh, some other guys are sharing around. This is why it matters. Um, besides that, so there was this one video clip uh, where they brought in a guy who was pretending to be Jesus. Um, but as a wrestler, I, I don't know. Did you see that clip? I didn't around? see this one. No. Um, so they were doing a, a, a little skit or play or whatever they do. And so they had a guy run in onto the stage and Colbert introduced this guy by saying Messiah of muscle, savior of steel. I mean, that was the introduction mm. to this guy playing Jesus. Um, and, and let me just say, even with that introduction, if you don't see what's wrong with that, then you'll understand the holiness of God and you'll understand yeah. the character of Christ. Um, he, he wasn't the Messiah of muscle. He right. was the Messiah of all of those who would come to acknowledge and accept him as Lord and Savior. Uh, he wasn't the Savior of steel. He was the Savior of sinful people, which whom he shed his own blood for on the cross. Yeah. And, and so just that is hugely irreverent. But he goes on. This, this guy comes out, I don't know who is playing uh, the character, um, but he's doing this as a wrestler. He's got a wrestling belt over his head, and he, he says, this is my body, and he beats on his chest, and then he holds up the wrestling belt and says, this is my belt. I'm the champion of the world. I, 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 that's a mockery of the, I, when you take the Lord's Supper in church, 
and you talk about the fact that what you're doing is representative of the broken body of Christ for you and the shed blood of Christ for you. Uh, This stuff just, it it makes me angry even just repeating it. Um, But again, I I think it's it's important. So this whole skit was a portrayal of Jesus in a, um, I haven't watched a whole lot of wrestling, but it, it seemed to be in like your common, very dramatic wrestling type stuff. It made a mockery of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is the guy that people are pointing to and saying that he's an excellent example of the Christian witness. Um, No. Yeah. And let let me, let me jump in there. Um, Some may be hearing this and think um, we're making a big deal out of something minor. Uh, But when you look at back at the old Testament, uh, that the Mosaic law had laws of, um, of, of, keeping things holy versus things that are common. Um, Holy was really kind of, uh, for instance, the tabernacle, the items inside the tabernacle were considered holy. They're consecrated to God. You're not to make them common by by using them for common use. And when we think about, for instance, Moses, the first time that he is called by God to go back into Egypt, it's the burning bush incident. And what does the Lord say to him from the burning bush? Um, Take off your sandals for for you walk on holy ground. Joshua is told very much the same thing when he sees the Lord, uh, the commander of the Lord's army. So take off your sandals, you're walking on holy ground. And when we think about the strange fire incident uh, on the consecration of the tabernacle, the two sons of Aaron, uh, Nadab and, and Abihu, they bring up strange fire. And, and what was the problem? Well, Moses goes on to say that they did not regard the name of our Lord as holy. Um, when they created the temple, the Solomonic temple, um, they, they created steps leading up to the temple that were deliberately um, not uh, c- completely the same size as one another, um, maybe varying heights, uh, varying uh, widths or lengths as, as you walked up. And the reason why they did that is because they don't want people to just enter into the temple thoughtlessly, that the steps were there to remind you that you need to consider that you're coming before a holy God. So I think all throughout scripture, as we are confronted with the holiness of God, and the fact that we need to come before him with uh, with, with fear and, and reverence, right? And, and so that's that's really what we're getting at. We don't want to turn the name of our Lord into something that's common, um, something that that we would uh, that that we would make make it look like it's less holy by equating him to something as silly as wrestling, you know, or something like that. So that that's why. And, and you know, we, we see. I remember there's this. Uh, there's one statue that a lot of atheists like to put a picture of, and it's Jesus Christ uh, pointing with his finger and he's winking um, into the camera like some kind of slick car salesman or something like that. You know, And so th- these are all things that I, I think for people that understand the holiness of God and have put their faith into Jesus Christ, you know, obviously, um, and, and again, Stephen Colbert, unbeliever, I pray that he comes to know Christ. I pray that he understands um, the whole purpose of why Christ came and that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone and that we confess him as Lord and Savior. I pray all those things are there. So as an unbeliever, it does not surprise me that he does what he does because as an unbeliever, we don't know any better, right? Right. Um, But these examples, as you're pointing out, we have to understand that this this would not be the behavior of someone who truly knows God. And then that's why we're pointing this out. Yeah, and it's not something that any Christian leader should be, you know, spreading around as a great Christian witness. And, yeah. and that's really, really the issue. Um, and so, it, when you see this stuff, and, and I read a few comments on Twitter about uh, some, some folks that genuinely, it seems, didn't understand why 
um, that was making a mockery of Christ. And 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 there's room for that, you, you know, for someone to say, well, help me understand. I I, I don't really understand. Um, but I would just say, just just consider who Christ is and and what he did. And when you're uh, when you get comments like, you know, this is my body and a guy's beating on his chest like a, an ape imitating a wrestler, and he holds up a, a, a wrestling belt and says, this is my belt, which is meant to be a play on this is my body and blood, yeah. right? And yeah. you consider what that means. Um, you know, Christ came, he um, was, uh, you just think about what he went through to save you. Right, he was beaten. Yeah. He was bruised. He was whipped. I mean, the the flesh was torn off of his body in such a way that was just it, it's it's hard to even consider that um, what that might have looked like um, with the cat of nine tails. And he was made to carry a cross that uh, it, you know in his in his physical form he needed help to carry. Right, it, it was so heavy because of all the abuse he. Uh, had taken he was spat on he was rejected um and and then he hung on a cross suffocating because that's what happened uh when you were crucified and to and that's what you're talking about and then to take that um and and to put it in something as silly as a wrestling skit i I hope i hope people can see why that's an issue right but i've got one other clip and i'm and, and and i'll end uh the clips with this one. Um, and, and again, my point here is not to make a big deal out of Colbert being an unbeliever, because as you have well said, um, we, we don't expect him to act any different. Now you might disagree with that because he says he's Catholic, but we'll talk about that next week. Um, m- my concern again, and I think we've expressed this is you have very popular Christian leaders who are pointing people to this. Yeah. Um, and, and so we need to be discerning, um, just because someone with a big platform says, "Hey, this person is a great Christian example," uh, doesn't mean they they really are. And you know, and I'll, I'll just it, give Tim Keller the benefit of the doubt here. Um, maybe he didn't have time, didn't think about it. Um, what else he may have been saying, and he was just pointing to that one incident. Uh, I would still say it was totally lacking and unfitting for someone with his platform to even point. To the original video but um let, let me go to this other clip and uh we'll see if i can get through it it's hard uh it's just one quote so he's quoting he's talking about some uh guy or woman i sorry i don't know named flo rita flo rita that's it, it, uh, i think a, a rapper, rapper or a music yeah, artist rapper or something like that flo rita yeah oh there you go okay yeah flo rita <laughs> Yeah, I'm really showing my again. It's a condemnation. It's though. probably a condemnation to me that I know these things. So I, uh, I should have looked it up. Anyway. I, I don't listen to him, but I've heard his name. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So uh, he's on the show and he's uh, talking about this rapper or whatever, um, and he's specifically talking about a song that he wrote called "Bubble Yum Bum." I looked up the lyrics because I wasn't brave enough to watch the music video, and I'm glad I only looked at the lyrics. I didn't get through them, and I'm not going to repeat them. They're that bad. Um, But let me just quote to you what he says, talking about this rapper and that song and Jesus. Uh, So this is Colbert saying, quote, and I quote, Florida, he only wrote Bubble Yum Bum because Jesus was a booty fan. After all, he, after all... He did say turn the other cheek, probably so that he could watch the ladies twerk it, end quote. Wow. I, we could just end the podcast here. I don't know what else one could say. 
Um, that that is so so utterly bad. Yeah. Um, and and again, uh, Colbert is an unbeliever. And 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 if you if you can watch these things now, I don't know how old these clips are. So let me ju- let me just put that caveat out yeah. there. Um, may, maybe he is a lot better uh, and less blasphemous as he used to be, uh, but he's still an unbeliever. That's not really the issue. This is the guy that that Tim Keller and these guys are now pointing people to as excellent examples. Um, I, I wouldn't let anyone. Uh, yeah, I, I'm almost at a loss for words, right? Which doesn't happen very yeah. often. Um, well, yeah, let me let me jump, jump in, in there. there. Um, I mean, when we look at the examples, once again, of the disciples and the apostles, and I mentioned the book of Acts, you can see how they present the gospel. Even Paul, when he goes into um, uncharted territory, he goes into Gentile land uh, in Athens, and he says what he says. Um, but look at the epistles, too. You, you look at the epistles of the apostles, and just just pay attention to how Jesus Christ is portrayed. Um, it, it's never haphazard. It's never casual. It's never common. It's never um, in this kind of joking manner where we're making him to be like one of our entertainment icons, right? It's it's always with the utmost of respect. In fact, in many places, the uh, disciples and apostles literally refer to themselves as slaves of Christ, um, slaves of Christ. And when they speak about him, they speak about him in the highest terms. And, and that's what we as Christians ought to do. Now, some recent examples. Um, we um, when, when we saw this example being floated around as, as a great example, well, the first example that came to my mind was when um, John MacArthur had his first interview with Ben Shapiro. Mm. And so I decided to go ahead and post that, share that. That got a lot of likes. And then um, Pastor Gabe, Gabe Hughes, um, had an even better segment where he put together um, a series of clips of um, John MacArthur on the Larry King show, just answering direct questions and, and always taking every opportunity to point people to the cross and to be able to point people to the fact that Jesus Christ is the only way, you know, and and those are examples where, you know, John MacArthur didn't offend either Ben Shapiro or Larry King, at least not directly in any way, but they, they were sure to make sure that the gospel message was communicated very clearly. I I think about the, uh, the, the realm of um, professional sports and, and recently in basketball, I think it was like a year or two ago, there's a young man by the name of Jonathan Isaac, and he played, at least when it first happened, he played uh, for the Orlando Magic. He might still be with them. I'm not not positive. But um, it, it was when um, people started to bow the knee for Black Lives Matter, um, you know, and, and, and all that. And, and he refused to bow the knee. Um, he stood for the national anthem, and they asked him about it afterwards. And uh, you know what? He, he, he was very winsome in his answer. He was very polite, very gentle, very respectful, but he was also very clear that Jesus Christ is his Lord. Um, he actually shared the gospel in a, in a press conference. And then there was another another baseball player in um, in San Francisco, Sam something, and I can't remember his name, but he, um, he made reference to the fact that uh, I bow my knee only to one person, and that's Jesus Christ, right? So I think these are, we see some great cultural examples of people who stood very firmly upon the truth without just blasting and, and uh, insulting people. So, I mean, I, I think you can easily lift up any of those examples going, wow, look, look at this. The, these are people there. They're speaking with kindness, with reverence, with gentleness, but they're very clearly pointing to the Savior. And and. I would have no problems if anyone lifted up those examples and say, look, what a great example. And I would agree, yes, what a great example, because those athletes in that context are doing what is very much countercultural, what, what others are 
refusing to do or are afraid to do or whatever it is, they're willing to stand up and then be able to provide the explanation that points back to Christ. And we as Christians, if I'm going to if I'm going to lift up as a great example, any kind of example, it's going to be someone who points back to Christ and it should not be anything less. Yeah, amen. I I mean and I think yeah, I saw the 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 clips of John MacArthur and if you were to compare uh, what we read earlier uh, quoted versus you know how John MacArthur deals with that Again, you made a good point. He he's very gracious. Um, he's unoffensive in in his person in that, um, and uh, and he answers the question directly. And I think what I appreciated um, the, the most, I, I I specifically watched the one with Ben Shapiro. Um, ben Shapiro left that interview knowing exactly what um, Christianity teaches yeah. is the way to yeah. salvation. There 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 was no doubt. Right. And I mean, and that's what we're that's what we're called to do. And I think, uh, again, that was, you know, that's just evidence of I'm constantly appreciative of MacArthur's ministry. I I see these things. It just reminds me of his love for um, Christ and his love for the unbeliever, Um, because he gets to the gospel and he wants them to know. Um, you know, what the truth is and how to come to salvation. And so those, yeah, those are good examples, not uh, Stephen Colbert, uh, Colbert, as you say. <laughs> Colbert, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and again, you know, the the point, the problem again is you have all these, um, and I have to say a lot of the other major leaders that I saw, or I should rather say just guys who have influence in the church, a lot of them are on the the, the left-wing side of things anyway, um, to be quite frank, I put Tim Keller in that same category. He actually responded because he got so much feedback as is pretty common. Um, and he came back with an explanation on contextualization. And I just want to go back and hit on that again. Yeah. Uh, we, we both traveled underseas, overseas. We mm-hmm. understand contextualization. And many of our listeners will, if not all of them, uh, will understand it as well. But I want to go back to the example of Paul. It, you know, we talk about that often gets pulled up and ironically taken out of context <laughs> um, when they're trying to use it for contextualization. Well, what do I mean? This is what Paul did not do. What Paul did not do was say, hey, you know, actually, we serve the same God. I just view him a little bit differently. Let me share what I think about this God. Um, and and we, we do that with Islam. People, people will do that with Islam. We serve the same God. No, we don't. We don't serve the same God. Um, that's not what he did. Um, their culture, and this is important to understand when we read that, right, and you, you reference this. In their culture, that was a catch-all. They acknowledged that there uh, was a god or were likely uh, another god that they didn't know, and that statue was to him. And so it was quite fitting for Paul to say, well, hey, look, since you have already acknowledged that there is an unknown god, let me actually tell you about the god you don't know. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and, and so that's a very big difference than how I often see the word contextualizing mean. Um, working in Africa, uh, contextualization never has to do with the gospel, ever. Right. The call to the everyone is a sinner. The call to repentance is exactly the same. Uh, the person and work of Christ on the cross is exactly the same. The gospel message is exactly the same. That is never uh, a, a changing factor. However, um, I probably can't use the same uh, illustrations 
right? If, if we're pulling from our culture to illustrate certain things, you can't do that in Africa because they're unfamiliar with the American culture. Um, yeah. I can't use day-to-day life uh, here, uh, there. I have to pull from their own culture, uh, from their own surroundings uh, to help make points to get to the plain and clear gospel message. And that's contextualizing, right? Um, and, and so we, we've, we've got to understand that watering down the gospel is not what contextualization is. Right. Making it more palatable, right, is not what contextualization is. Yeah. 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 Where you're trying to um, you're trying to present the truth. That's the first goal. If there are ways that you can borrow from um, surrounding culture to help connect them to that truth, um, that's contextualization, but without sacrificing the truth. And, and it just came to mind, John chapter one, right in the beginning, when John, the apostle says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Um, a, a lot of people look at that and falsely equate John the Apostle to be saying that Jesus Christ is equal to Scripture. That's actually not John's point. Um, the, the Greek word for word is logos. And, and logos in, uh, in the Greek culture, they understood logos to be some, um, some entity that uh, was the source of all life, but it was impersonal. Um, but it, was, it reflected uh, life and, and reason, and, and it was a very philosophical kind of concept. And, uh, and John would borrow that term, but he wouldn't use how the Greeks viewed it. He basically said, let me tell you about this entity out there who's responsible for life. His name is Jesus Christ. All things were created through him, and there was nothing that wasn't created that wasn't created through him. And in fact, um, I'll just give a shout out to uh, one of our friends on Twitter. His name is uh, Todd, Todd uh, Ashby. Uh, Todd Ashby had a, a great thread where he explained um, that John 1-1 passage, and it actually was in response, I think, to James and Lindsay. You know, and that, that could be another discussion all of itself, where James Lindsay is a, he's an atheist, uh, but uh, sometimes he's platformed too much by believers as someone who's, uh, who's helpful for spiritual matters when he's not. Um, but uh, Todd Ashby was really responding to him, helping him to understand what that meant when uh, John, the, John the Apostle said, Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, really pointing to, to Jesus Christ. That, that is an example of contextualization that leads to divine truth, not contextualization that actually sacrifices the truth. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime you read or hear of contextualization and it lends itself to um, making the gospel message in and of itself more palatable or easy to hear for the culture, uh, they've misunderstood contextualization. Um, You know, and and we're not talking about, you know, standing on a street corner saying, you know, whatever, so-and-so is going to hell, you know, turn and burn kind of thing. That's not what we're talking about. That kind of thing is often just stupid, but um, but contextualizing in, in the right way is just understanding your environment, who you're speaking to, where to pull illustrations so that the people understand. Uh, and that's really all we're talking about, right? You go into the jungles yeah. of anywhere. Um, you, you may, you're not going to be able to use uh, the same illustrations as we would in America. And that's really in its most simplistic form. That's all we're talking about. Uh, once you get to the fact that people are sinners that they need a savior, um, that a savior came. Um, and you're talking about having yeah. professing Christ and having faith and repenting, that will always be the same. If you change that, then you change the gospel message. Um, and the problem with that, and a problem with things like this, is ultimately 
you're happily condemning people in their sin because you're not getting them to the point where they're confronted by their sin in such a way that they understand they need a savior. That's not loving your neighbor. Um, it's detrimental to your neighbor. You don't want people to walk away thinking that if they just learn how to laugh, they'll never be defeated. And and that's yeah. what Christianity is all about. Because those people may learn how to laugh at their circumstances and think that they're uh, not defeated, but when they die, they'll spend eternity in hell, and you've done nothing to help that. Yeah, and I think that's one of the greatest concerns. I mean, if you hear what was actually said, and, and you read uh, some of that transcript, if you hear what is actually said, and, and you're an unbeliever, you're an atheist, um, obviously, it's something that you can easily applaud to. <clears throat> and, and you can walk away thinking, you know what? I, I You know, Stephen Colbert is okay. I like him. And, and we, me and him, even though he believes in God, and I don't, we have a lot in common, and, uh, and, and I'm okay with that. You know, but there, there's nothing in that statement that draws you back to ask questions, more questions, right? Because it, it really allows the unbeliever to be comfortable with where, where they're at. Now, let me say this. I mean, obviously, as we build relationships with our neighbors, people around us, as we approach family members, we might not get all of the gospel in there the first time. Yeah. In fact, we might not even get to it, right? I mean, you're, you're trying to build those bridges. You're trying to build relationships, establish rapport, show them that you care. And then maybe you're just mentioning the fact that you go to church. Maybe you're just mentioning uh, the, the fact that um, your faith is very important to you. But, but the idea is that you've got a... You've got a plan that you're going to going to expose more and more as you get to know that person. So that's all right. That that's that's totally fine. But when you when you give a message that just allows people to be comfortable um, where they are where they are and uh, never mention anything that's substantive to to the gospel itself, and then you lift that up as a you know. And and one person said this is America's greatest evangelist. Well, I think you've missed the point. Because that just does not follow any of the examples we have. But I think what's happening also, and let me just say this, um, we have become a country that loves methods. We have fallen in love with methods. Yeah. And, and that shows itself in one of two ways. One, we think that we can be clever enough to convince people to become Christians or to convince people to come to church and hear the truth and all that. And, and that has shown itself with all the seeker-sensitive churches. Um, it has translated into churches where the worship music sounds no different uh, than watching um, pop videos on TV, right? Um, it literally, in some places, it's literally the same songs that, that you would find um, on, on those uh, kinds of channels or going to YouTube or whatever. Um, but, but the other way it shows itself, too, is that I've had so many people say to me that if you say that, um, you're just going to drive people away from the church. You know, if you express a certain truth, now, for instance, if, if we talk about modesty, you know, the importance of modesty, you're going to drive people away. If you talk about the fact that, um, that, the, that the Protestant Christian faith reflects the only gospel that leads to heaven and does not include Roman Catholicism, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, you're going to drive people away. And it's the same kind of thinking that goes into those music selections that, hey, if you start to sing too many hymns, you're going to drive the younger people away. So it's a very, we're a very methods oriented kind of people. And it loses sight of the fact that we are not the ones who can save or sanctify people. That is the work of God. And, in, and especially the, the Holy Spirit who, who's supposed to come and dwell within us if we put our faith into um, the, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And, and so we... We want to be careful of methods because ultimately we have to remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, that the wisdom of God is foolishness to men. 
Mm-hmm. So if it's foolishness to men, what are we to do? You're to preach it anyway and trust God to do his work when he chooses to do his work. Yeah. I, amen. I, you know, we preach it faithfully and uh, we do it in a spirit of kindness and gentleness. Um, but I think oftentimes we confuse those things for um, not giving the truth. So we think if it's not, if, if it's not well received, then it must not have been kind or gentle, but that, that's not true. Right. I mean, uh, you, you think of, and I always like to go to the example of, of Jesus when he has, you know, the crowd and he says, unless you eat my body and drink my flesh, you have, you know, no part of me. And, uh, and of course we all know what happened. Jesus being perfect, uh, the church absolutely exploded and instantly the crowd tripled in size, right? No, wrong. Yeah, (laughs) they all left. Now here's the thing. Uh, in, in, in that way, Jesus isn't like us. He knew exactly what would happen. So his strategy was to eliminate all of the false following it, it, at least in part there, that was not the point of the thing. But, um, my point is that if we look at scripture, what we never see is, um, the message being given in such a way that the thought was, well, is this going to be received? Well, yeah. That that is never ever ever right. the point, right? Um, I mean, Paul gets almost stoned to death, beat mm-hmm. outside, gets drug outside the city, um, and of course we know he immediately left right after that. No, uh, he gets back up and he goes right back into the the same city yeah. and continues preaching the gospel. Yeah, yeah. Um, Amazing. So so we have those examples, and again, the point isn't to be combative. That we should never be that. We're not supposed to be purposefully contentious, um, but we can't shrink back from the truth based on the response the world gives. Um, the, yeah. we, we can't keep people from, you cannot in some sense keep people from coming to Christ because it is God alone, uh, re, you know, read the first chapter of Ephesians, right? God alone who calls us, the Holy Spirit who regenerates us. Um, we just preach the gospel and those who hate God um, will reject it and they'll hate the message and they'll deem it to be unloving, unkind, unjust, and so forth. Um, but there will be those who God has called to himself and he says that his sheep will hear his voice and they'll respond. Uh, and, and those are the ones that we're looking for. But we, we can't ever change the gospel message because some might not like it. Yeah, you, you use the example of John chapter 6, and I recently preached through that. It's a great example. And in that chapter, in the beginning, you, you start off with um, anywhere between fifteen to 20,000 people following Jesus Christ. That's with the feeding of the 5,000, and the 5,000 was not counting every single body that was there. So fifteen to 20,000 people, and then by the time you get to the end of the chapter, you, you really don't have much else than his 12. It's in verse 66 that people walk away. And why do they walk away? They walk away because they don't like the words of Jesus Christ. Yep. And, and Jesus never tried to accommodate them. He never tried to kowtow to them. In fact, you know, when they were struggling with his words and and thinking that he was crazy, you know, he repeated three different times that, you know what? No one can come to me unless God the Father draws you. He says that three different times. It's like verse 37, 44, and I think 51 or 53, somewhere around there. And then uh, then when he turns to the 12 and says, you guys are not going to leave, are you? Peter has that great statement to whom else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. And you would think that Jesus Christ would commend him on that statement. He actually didn't. It's almost like Jesus was saying, have you not listened to anything that I've been telling you? Um, I'm the one that chose you first. 
Um, so in other words, they really came to believe because Jesus Christ chose him. And, and all that to say that in that chapter, and, and really John is just a great example to start, especially starting from chapter five, all the way to chapter 12, there's just confrontation after confrontation after confrontation. And Jesus never backs down off of the truth. And he doesn't try to accommodate or make excuses when people don't follow. He doesn't get discouraged when his numbers dwindle down. He, he's, he's, he's on a mission and he knows exactly what he's going to say because God the Father is telling him exactly what to say and exactly what to do. And, and they're just not uh, responding. Now, that's not to say that people must always be offended, all right? Um, we want to be as winsome, as gentle, as reverent as possible. First Peter 3.15, with gentleness and kindness, we are to give a defense. Um, but we also recognize that Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. That's John 15.18. So we remember that not because we want to have the goal of making everyone into an enemy, but realizing that the truth is not always going to be received well. And so I, you know, after observing that 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 video with Stephen Colbert and listening to everyone applaud, I thought to myself, you know what? Um, this is not a church service. So th th that's those are not Christians who are sitting there in the audience. And they all applauded his statement. And for us as Christians, if you're sharing your faith, and everyone universally applauds you, there's probably something wrong. You know, again, that's not to say that you're not going to have instances where Larry King or Ben Shapiro, um, they respected what John MacArthur had to say. You even had Paul with King Herod, right? King Herod uh, Agrippa, I think, was the one that said, uh, you know, a little bit longer and you're going to make me into a Christian. Yeah, almost so uh, King, yeah, King Agrippa was impressed by the presentation. He, he really liked what Paul presented. He wasn't offended. And yet, we, we don't see any evidence that he actually put his faith into Christ. Um, so this is not to say that we're intentionally trying to offend, but we do recognize that when we share the truth, it will more often than not offend. Yeah. And we just got to recognize those things. And I think, uh, you know, when the sooner we get over the need to just be liked by everyone and look, that, that is a, I, I think everyone, I don't, I, I would be hesitant to e even, uh, entertain the idea that there's someone out there who doesn't want to be liked, right? right. I mean, really, right. we right. we all have that. I don't think there's anything. We all want to be liked. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing inherently sinful or wrong yeah. about that. Um, but I just think we've got to understand, as you've said, that that is just not going to be the case because of the message we have as believers. And when we can get over that, um, and and when we can, I, I think it. Spurgeon is incredibly helpful when we talk about this. Um, he often talks about the the self-sacrifice inherently involved in sharing the gospel because you want to see souls saved. Yeah. Um, and, and I think we have we, we've gotten into self-preservation mode so much in 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 Western war in the Western world, and it's infiltrated the church. And I think we all have the struggle with that. Um, the the gospel that we have is not for us. It's for those to whom we're supposed to proclaim it. And some of them are going to hate us for it, but they hated Christ first. Uh, and we've just got to get over that. It's hard. Um, we did a segment on how to deal with the rising persecution in the church. Go listen to that. But And we'll just come back to this is why I should be a member of a healthy biblical church um, to help strengthen those things. So, yeah, that's good stuff, brother. Well, we talked about all of this stuff, and we've mentioned gospel a lot. And so, um, I, I, I had a, a. There were tons of of guys on Twitter that were saying to a whole bunch of us, "Tell us the gospel, tell us the gospel." <laughs> and I think it was almost trying to 
see, I caught you were a nitpicky thing, but yes, let's give you the gospel uh, because you've heard what it's not. So what is it? Um, it, it? You can get to it a lot of different ways, but I, I would just simply communicate it, it this way. The gospel is the good news, right? When we say gospel, no. it's good news. What is the good news of? That Jesus Christ um, came to call those to, to call us to repent for our sins, that those who would profess Christ as Lord, repenting with their mouths, believing in their hearts and his life, his death, his resurrection for the remission of sins will be given eternal life. And that comes by God's grace through faith um, in Christ alone. That's the gospel. Yeah. And how we get to that with people, um, there's latitude, there's freedom in, in how, how you get to it. But that has to be the message. If people don't realize they're sinners, then, they'll, then they don't need a Savior. If we're not sinners, we don't need a Savior, because that's why Christ came, right, to save sinners. And so if we leave out that critical part of the gospel, that we are sinful, that that sin um, requires justice in a culture that is always talking about justice, right? that yeah. sin requires the justice of God, but Christ paid that penalty for us. <clears throat> Uh, that that's that's the message, right? That's the gospel. You want to let me let me that, add, brother? Yeah, let me ask you this: um, What makes Jesus uniquely qualified to do that work on the cross? Yeah, great question. Jesus was fully man, and that is important. And he was fully God, um, and th- that uniquely qualifies Christ. He was sinless, right? Um, and in Christ, uh, you know, we're told that uh, he became sin who knew no sin, um, and then his righteousness is imputed to us. That's important, you know. I don't know if that's where you were going with that, but yeah, no, that's that's good. I mean, um, Jesus Christ, he he was perfect in all that he did. His life was perfect. Um, he he was not just the one that provided us with forgiveness, but he was the perfect fulfillment of the old covenant yeah. of the of the Mosaic law, and by becoming the perfect fulfillment of it. He lifted the penalty um, that were due to all of us that will put our faith into Jesus Christ. And the only thing I would add to that is um, that those who do not um, accept Jesus Christ, there is no neutral ground. Um, yeah. You are condemned. Everyone starts off being condemned um, unless they, they come to Jesus Christ. And the penalty for that condemnation is eternity in hell. I do believe it is a eternal, some people call it an etern- eternal conscious torment. The lake of fire is described in the book of Revelation as being um, that which, uh, which burns and torments day and night forever and ever. Right. And, uh, and then I, I would also say that um, we have our hope now in Christ that he will return, that whether we are taken from this life first or whether Christ returns before we are taken from this life, we look forward to eternity in heaven um, after Jesus Christ returns. And then that's when we're going to have the eternal state where people are either going to be saved and, and live in bliss with God for eternity, or they're going to be paying the penalty of unbelief uh, for all of eternity. Yeah. Ephesians chapter two, right? One through three. Yeah. Before yeah. you come to Christ, you're children of wrath. Dead that's right. Sons of disobedience, children of wrath. Yep. Right? That's right. Uh, I think it was, um, I can't remember if it was Martin Lloyd Jones or Leonard Ravenhill, the two being distinctly different in a lot of ways. Um, but one of the two said there are only two groups of people those who are dead in their sins and those who are dead to their sins. Oh, um, yeah. And uh, yeah, great statement. So, That's the gospel. Hope this was helpful. And until next time, let the truth be known. 
The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.